0: Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum. I'm David Benedetto, and today I'll be speaking with author T.J. English about his new book, The Corporation. How are you doing today, T.J.? I'm doing good, David. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. Uh, very happy to have you on here uh, to talk about this really interesting book uh, about the Cuban-American underworld. Um, Tell me a little bit, you've written in this vein for for a number of years now about underworld, about mobs, about crime, and I'm wondering how you got interested in this topic and what keeps you writing in this vein?
1: Well, I had written a previous book called Havana Nocturne, which was about the era of the the mob, the mafia in Cuba in the 1950s, uh, pre-revolution, during the uh, time of President Fulgencio Batista, and how the mobsters had set up a sort of a paradise there of casinos and nightclubs, Meyer Lansky, Santo Traficante, some other prominent mafia figures from the United States. And uh, that book was very successful. And I did a lot of research uh, and the logical question at the end of that book was, well, the mafia gets chased out of Cuba when the revolution takes place, Fidel Castro comes in and, eliminates them seizes all their holdings and chases them off the island so the logical question was what what happened what what were the consequences of this so in this in many ways the the corporation is a sequel to that book it is an attempt to answer that question of what happened after the mobsters and the cuban exiles got chased off the island by the revolution and what happened, of course, was this criminal organization that took shape in the United States of America. And in answer to the second part of your question, why I write about these subjects, to me, this is, you know, I've written a number of different versions from, from different ethnic points of view about the process of gangsterism in the United States, uh, 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 organized crime, and I just find it to be an sort of the classic American story. So many ethnic groups have gone through this process, starting, you know, with the Irish and the Italians and the Jews and, and now more recent immigrant variations. Um, it's a process of assimilation. It's, a, it's very much a, a consequence of American capitalism and the way it plays out at the street level and in the criminal underworld and in the underground economies. And so I find it kind of an inexhaustible topic. I I write contemporary stories. I go back and I write historical stories. And so um, to me, it's a prism you hold up to the light and you can look at it from many different angles. And all of it sheds great insight into the, the psyche of the American process, the American dream.
0: I can imagine that. That's a really interesting thing you said about it being a part of American assimilation. Uh, and as a result of kind of people not being allowed into the mainstream economic system, uh, That that's really interesting. Um, you wrote uh, an article in the 90s for Playboy, Playboy called The New Mob. Uh, and I was wondering, you know, some 20 years after writing that article, if you have any reflections on it and how the mob and the underworld has changed in the 21st century.
1: Yeah, that was actually a series of of three articles that I wrote for Playboy, and it was sort of at a crucial stage in the development of organized crime in the United States. The traditional mob was dying out, the mafia, uh, Italian organized crime, Irish organized crime, Jewish organized crime. This was on the wane and was dying out. Um, All of those groups had more or less assimilated into United States and this process of gangs and gangsterism wasn't really necessary for them anymore. But new waves of immigrants in the 80s and 90s were coming to the United States and picking up uh, this same process of, of of criminality, which is 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 so American. And so I wrote uh, one article, I think was about a, a Jamaican. Posse drug gang in Brooklyn that had roots in the island of Jamaica and traced the roots of that gang. I also wrote about Chinese triads out of Hong Kong that were setting up operations in the major cities in the United States. So I was I was looking at it from these different angles. And what I would say 20 years later is a lot of this has become institutionalized Um Narcotics, of course, drugs now is the racket Mm -hmm. that fuels the criminal underworld. And that process hasn't changed in 20 years. Maybe now it will begin to change with the legalization of marijuana and the effects that would have on the underground economy and the narcotics economy. But um, organized crime seems to be something in the American psyche that does not go away. It changes. It's altered by demographic changes in in the United States. But the the idea that the economy will have almost a parallel universe and underworld, the upper world and the underworld, seems to be something deeply embedded in the uh, the American way of life.
0: And you don't think there's ever going to be a solution to that? Do you think it's just an intrinsic to to our very our very being here? Or there's always going to be that. It's, it's intrinsic to
1: capitalism and how capitalism plays out in the United States. Uh, you know, there's layers of access in the capitalist world and the initial layer is pretty brutal. It's, it's an immigrant process of people coming over usually out of destitute situations, living in poverty, living in their own ethnic neighborhoods without access to real advancement in the united states and so you have this process where initially they often begin preying on their own that's usually the first stage criminal organizations within these communities preying on their own people and then they become more organized and they start to exert influence in the political system they start buying off politicians they use corruption as a way to advance i don't know this is very american i i don't see it changing i've been following my entire adult life and I've been researching the roots of it going back at least to the prohibition era of the 1920s and it seems to me to be as deeply entrenched as capitalism itself
0: interesting uh, that that's a component about your writing that I'm very interested in is is the research aspect of it and especially with the more modern histories that you've written uh, about the the last segment in your uh, saga of the Irish mob. You know, these are things that are very raw still, and are in some ways still happening. These people are still alive. These people are still affected. How how do you yes. approach writing about that subject?
1: Well, it's tough. Um, you you have to gain the trust of sources um, that are still emotionally, uh, if not even more directly, connected to these stories. And so it's a it's a difficult process. Um, I think a key for me what's what's at the core of it is is trust and uh non-judgment that you, you that you would meet people that are criminally connected and that you are seeking to access information that they have to talk to them not not just you know who killed who on what dates yeah. but just insights into the choices they've made and and the and the lives the life that they lead and you can only do that if, if you do it with non-judgment in a way that leads to trust. I, I have the advantage that I'm not a journalist working for a daily newspaper on a deadline. So I can often take the time to cultivate sources and to get to know them well and to gain that kind of trust. And then it's just them feeling comfortable enough with you to be honest in sharing information and then of course it becomes your obligation as the writer to make sure you're not being played yeah. by your sources uh that the information is verifiable um so it's a dance you know it's an ongoing dance that takes place with uh with with your sources
0: it's true and and honestly the the subject matter it's would be so easy to sensationalize or to hide in a lot of these things how do you find a way to balance that without making it an academic slog.
1: Yeah, that's a very important point. You know, um I'm very conscious of tr- the the concept of true crime and how sensationalized that can be, and I'm trying to avoid that by writing criminal stories, criminal histories that are set in a a context, a, a sociological context, a historical context, a psychological context so that you can understand these stories with a certain amount of depth. And yes, the idea is to not be boring (laughs) and academic as you do that. So, you know, somewhere between the tabloid tradition of writing and the academic scholarly study of subject matter is where I try to write. I try to write popular histories that are entertaining I'm very conscious of the fact that uh i'm I'm writing in a in a in a popular sense and i'm I'm trying to reach as broad an audience as possible but i'm I'm also tr- trying to be conscious of not dumbing down the material and not sensationalizing the material
0: yeah um to, to pivot a little bit i I saw on your website that you recently uh were on a panel about Goodfellas the movie uh, which was released in 1990 uh the 25th anniversary of that yeah uh, I wanted to hear about that experience and also your oh your... man yeah go ahead that please. was
1: as I as I tell people that was the that panel was the most fun I've ever had with my pants on that's how, <laughs> that's how I describe it I mean it was Nicholas Pileggi, the writer of the book and the co-writer of the screenplay Erwin Winkler the producer of the film and Edward McDonald, who was a federal prosecutor um, who plays himself in the movie, memorably, in a a couple of scenes. So it was those three guys reminiscing about how the film came together and the experience of of doing the film. And, uh, you know, for all of us who take an interest in this subject matter, Goodfellas is kind of the ultimate film in the sense that not only is it about the criminal life, but it's about the people who live within the criminal life and, and just the human side of it. And that movie now has become sort of iconic, uh, an iconic film in that regard. And so that was just a blast to yeah. do that.
0: Uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. You're good yeah. fellas. I, I saw it recently in theaters here and it, it, you're, it, I'm reminded of how it sucks you into that life at the very beginning. And it doesn't, it, moralizes in the most subtle of ways, not in this blatant way, but it just it shows the effects of this lifestyle without having to be high and mighty about it, which is really interesting and makes it gives it that human aspect.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it captures something that's so universal across ethnic lines uh, of people that get involved in the criminal life. And that is the allure of excitement and power. You know, the idea that by engaging in this kind of criminal activity that you're taking matters into your own hands and that you are, you know, shortcutting your access to power and money and excitement. And it's very appealing and seductive, uh, but it's a false value system. And, uh, you know, the movie, The Hotel has captured that very well, that you get drawn in for all these these seductive reasons, and then it inevitably turns bad very quickly. And when it turns bad, it turns bad in ways that are almost beyond your comprehension. They involve your closest loved ones often turning on you, uh, testifying against you in court, putting you away for life, it involves you you being targeted by your closest friends or maybe you're asked to like kill your closest friend in the organization it's it's inevitable that it turns ugly and you would think that after all these books and movies on the subject that people would be aware of that fact but it still has its appeal
0: yeah no it's interesting it's almost like the uh the satire paradox to where uh, people see the sexiness but or the 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 idea but they don't quite get the context of it, which yes. is this. This does not end great. Yes. Well, TJ, to kind of kind of round us out, uh, I'm interested what you're reading right now, and also if you have any new projects on the way after this book.
1: Uh, yes, I, I'm now on to the next project, which is uh, the third in a Cuban trilogy. I wrote a trilogy of nonfiction crime books about the Irish mob, that I call the Irish Mob Trilogy, and now um, I've written with the corporation two books on Cuban the Cuban crime history and the third in that volume I'm hoping I'm still working on it is the story of two very notorious cocaine dealers in Miami in the 80s that kind of were the people that really inaugurated the era of cocaine in Miami and completely transformed that city with the infusion of narco dollars and that that created the modern Miami that we see today. That was all that was all created more or less in the nineteen seventies, eighties and nineties through cocaine dollars, cocaine money. Um and so I'm looking forward to that to that one. Again, that's another sort of exciting crime story that that can be told within a, a context of 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 sociology and history and the development of that city that really elevates elevates the story to, uh, I think, uh, uh, a level of significant social history.
0: Interesting. And and what are you reading right now? Well, I'm reading
1: books related to that subject. You know, when I'm I'm deep into a subject, I don't get to do a lot of leisure reading. Most (laughs) of my reading is related to whatever it is that I'm researching. So I'm reading a book on the history of Miami. I'm reading a book on the uh, cartels, particularly Colombian cartels that were feeding the cocaine into South Florida in the 80s and 90s. So it's all all subject matter related to that, to my uh, research.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well, well, TJ, looking forward to that eventually coming out. And thank you so much for spending some time with us.
1: Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure.